You're just, you're just so sad. Why? Oh, because I've been bullied my whole life because I can fly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just leave, dude. Just leave. <laughs> you can't because the sunlight. <laughs> so bright. Leave in the middle of the night. Live from the Mundangerous City Warrens in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 260 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're continuing our series on playing non-human characters and talking about kobolds. But first, the party finds old gear in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the weather balloon surveys the scene in the Character Creation Forge. Leave behind the safety of the Humblewood and travel down the Tangrip coast to the Bay of Palouche, home to both the Kingdom of Den and the Serpent Domain. But neither hold the true power of the Bay, for that lies in the sea itself and the pirate lords that call her tides their own. The dread pirate Captain Bluebeak, Tiberius Fang, Kin the Bladeless, and Gabrielle Lafleur, the self-proclaimed Pirate Queen. Each one vying for power over the very tides themselves. But do any of them really have what it takes to hold up the legacy of the briny bulldog? Tune in each week to find out if our little crew has what it takes to stand up to the pirates of the blood-soaked waters. Dark Fortunes is available every Monday on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Set sail for high seas adventure. So, Shane, I had to do some research here, but it turns out in just a couple weeks, we turn five years old. That's terrifying. What, uh, what happened is. to us? <laughs> we got old. <laughs> a few more gray hairs. <laughs> I have many, many more gray hairs. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I fully expected we would have gotten tired of this years ago and moved on to something, I don't know, worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something definitely lower effort. Uh, but since we are here, it's time for a mailbag. So send in your questions. You probably got about a week and a half before we record that episode, so... Do it quickly, I guess. Yep. Uh, put a mailbag question in the subject line so we can find it. That will help us a lot. And yeah, we will get through as many of those as we can in kind of our usual rapid fire order. And then some other, you know, dumb bullshit. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so Ishan, I have some. I have a. I have a bone to pick. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. That's I have what we're a bone here for p- with Superman and Geralt of Rivia. Uh, Mr. Henry Cavill has adopted every single one of my hobbies, video games, weightlifting, uh, Warhammer, and now building computers, and he's doing them all better than me. Yeah, I mean, that's the reason that you're upset. At first, you were like, oh my god, Henry Cavill does the same stuff as me, and then you realized he is uh, much better at it. He's just the better version of me. Yeah, but I still have a podcast. <laughs> Fuck you, Henry Cavill. <laughs> Why did you jinx it? He's now going to start a gaming podcast. Of course he's going to. What else is he going to do? He can't I'm film. Ang- I'm angling for a spot on his podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Make the Henry Cavill beef real. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, but he uh, he took over Instagram, apparently, uh, building his PC in his like kitchen with his grandma blinds, and it was very heartwarming. Uh, and then like literally two days later, um, the last of my 
components came in and I had to build my computer and I was going to stream it. And then I just felt bad because he had already done better than I'll ever do. <laughs> you just need to edit it heavily, like happens to this podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, it took me like five hours because I had some trouble with RGB wiring uh, routing and it was it drove me nuts. It would have been a very boring stream of a grown man staring at a group of wires and going, I think these could fit better. <laughs> I don't understand anything of what you just said, but, you know, just take out the part where you put in something upside down. It's like uh, cooking videos on Instagram where, you know, it's seven stories lined up and each one is eight seconds long and voila, risotto. Yeah, well, that's a 90-minute <laughs> a risotto recipe, sir. Don't don't lie to me. <laughs> yeah, it's like adult Legos. <laughs> so Legos. So Legos, yeah, <laughs> except with, I guess, with like high-powered computer components. Wait, is your computer uh, water-cooled? Um, it is. That's a good thing, right? Um, depends. <laughs> it's all in the where the water is. If it doesn't leak, it's great. <laughs> well, you know, I'm glad you have a high-powered computer so that you can run all our fancy podcasting equipment to bring to you the great audio on this. After five years, you deserve it. I am no. I'm looking forward to this for editing video, uh, because it used to take me like eight hours to render a video for YouTube, and now I can actually do that in like eight minutes because it's only like you know twenty five minute videos that we ever do, assuming we ever actually see each other again. I mean, we still haven't figured out how we're going to do unboxing videos yet. I think it might be lots of cuts, um, and then merging two videos shot a week apart, and and we just have to act surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, that's that's how it has to work. Is like one of us will unbox it, and then the other will watch the unboxing with the box in their hands and film their reaction to the unboxing, <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll cut it all together using magic. We'll just need to solicit two copies of everything. Great. <laughs> <laughs> We're already on the outs with a lot of publishers. All all publishers. Beetle and Grimms has always done well by us so thank you to jason who's our contact there they've uh they've always hooked us up so. they're great that's due to no fault of our own i don't know why they like us so much all right well while we're pondering the uh <laughs> the mysteries of the universe where are we in the gates of morning campaign so the gates of morning campaign is our fifth edition DD game set in eberron a sequel of sorts to the original morning glory campaign and in southern karnath on the edge of the mornland the party is chasing a killer So they've all returned to the place where they met four years ago for the very first time, headed toward a spot that Ephraim Dorian marked on his map. And after taking shelter from the rain beneath a familiar outcropping of rock, everything goes dark. Only Zan's devil sight can pierce the darkness, and he can see two halflings in robes in the distance who fire bolts of energy at them. So, per usual, Warden Wild Shapes, this time into a huge stag to provide some cover for the spellcasters, while Vesicod casts Haste on Switch and Xan. I think this is one of the first times where uh, Warden specifically was like, I'll turn into something giant with a lot of hit points. Because that's the most useful thing right now. That's all he ever did. <laughs> <laughs> he was the tank. Not by choice. Never by choice. <laughs> Nobody cared about Warden's pain. It's uh, it's all fake meat. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Bramble dispels the darkness and calls out tactical orders, allowing the frontliners to close in the melee range and strike severe blows against these shocked halflings. 
But another undead amalgam creature appears in a deadly cloud of darkness, right in the middle of the back line. It slashes at Vesicod with spear-like hands made of bone, and then other spheres of darkness begin to litter the field of battle, and since Zan is the only one who can see through them, he has to begin calling out enemy locations to all of his blinded companions. So Warden the, the Stag charges the halfling, gores it, and then Zan cuts it down with a conjured glaive. Switch guts the other one, and we've got one amalgamation left. Although, from atop the ridge, yet one more halfling begins darkening the battlefield, and it starts lobbing missiles of ice right into Bramble's chest. Warden then summons a wall of fire, snakes it right up the side of the cliff, and then scorches both the undead monster and the halfling, who seems to be shouting orders in a language none of them understand. Zan needs to close the distance, so he attempts to race up the ridge, but his foot catches on something buried in the dirt, and he lands face first. The undead monster then spears Vesicod through the side, who falls unconscious. And of course, the haste that he cast fails, and Switch and Zan falter, robbed of the ability to move as the magic fades away from their bodies. Things are looking kind of grim. So Bramble races up to Vesicod and heals him with a touch. The Kalashtar opens his eyes while he's still on the ground, looks over to see the halfling on the ridge, casts a spell at him, and paralyzes him. But a surge of wild psionic energy that Vesicod is unable to keep control of actually turns out pretty good and arcs lightning into both the halfling and the undead creature. Once again able to move, Zan then looks down to see what tripped him and unearths a large backpack, two small metal spheres, and a metal staff. And everyone suddenly recalls what this is as recognition hits them. They remember the day of mourning four years ago when the Andarians, Bach and Margana, emptied their satchels in this very location hoping to salvage some equipment that might be useful in their desperate escape across no man's land. An experimental rev pack, two daylight grenades, and a siege staff of magic missile. So snatching one of those grenades, Zan lobs it into the air where it explodes in a huge sphere of dazzling daylight. The magical shadows fall away, and the undead monster howls in apparent pain. But the creature does teleport one more time, directly next to Vesicod, although this time it isn't shrouded in darkness, and it spears him again. The Kalashtar falls and lies motionless, and it howls once more, this time in triumph. A red mist begins pouring from Vesicod's body. It thickens into crimson beads that gather inside the undead creature's mouth. It inhales all of it, leaving Vesicod a pale, dead corpse. Meanwhile, Zan charges the halfling, slicing him into two halves that plummet to the bottom of the cliff, and Switch runs through the distracted undead. Its body withers and melts, leaving a thick pile of charred goo and a bladder-like sack filled with the blood of an entire person. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, Ishan, we're talking about kobolds. It's the creature you love to hate, or hate to love, I don't know. I feel like both of us, like some of our favorite NPCs are kobolds. Look, the only redeeming thing about kobolds is they have a pretty good press. <laughs> I agree. This, um, this episode is actually sponsored by Kobold Press. <laughs> they did, we didn't line this up on purpose. They just advertised <laughs> on this episode for us, so great luck. Look, we'll get into our favorite NPCs later, but okay, so kobolds. 
they are a low-level cannon fodder in most campaigns. You know, uh, they're the ones that you kill because they have like one to two hit points before you actually fight goblins because goblins can actually be dangerous. Yeah, these are your 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 tiny lizard dog creatures that, like, depending on your cannon, kind of shift a bit. Um, they live in their underground warrens. They steal from people on the surface. They're known as like tunnelers and trap makers. Yeah, they like yap and bark. Uh, I always, for some reason, picture them as like um, the dark ones from Diablo, the Diablo series. Yeah, that seems reasonable. However, kobolds are surprisingly vicious when they're cornered. They also have an affinity for arcane magic, and they can make endearing companions as long as they don't try to eat you while you're sleeping. I mean, sometimes they're more endearing because they're trying to eat you while you're sleeping. Yeah, like most pets, the, the thrill of ownership is in the fact that they might eat you. Carol Baskin. <laughs> Look, I never owned Deacon, okay? He was <laughs> he was uh, his own person, if a little misguided. In a way, he owned me. He like Meepo owns my heart. So what's the what's the history <laughs> of kobolds? <laughs> so the name comes from a sprite in Germanic folklore, but other than that, it really has nothing to do with the mythology. They're really a Dungeons and Dragons monster. And they were one of the original monsters in the 1974 White Box. Although back then they were considered a type of goblinoid and they just existed because they were easier to kill than orcs. And and they were basically just like dog people. Um, in a lot of other media that's sort of inspired by early D&D, they still look a lot like dogs. Mm -hmm. um, if they show up in, in anime, often they'll be dogs and you know, they have like sort of like long dog-like snouts. Like snouts, yeah. And they, like sometimes they have like a like the, the fur hanging off the chin kind of look rather than like the more draconic like scales. Yeah, furries, not scalies. Right. I think in some of like the joke games that kind of came out of D&D, like the dog kobold got really highlighted. Like um Kobolds ate my baby. Yeah, Kobolds ate my baby, I think. They're they're the dog kobolds. Then they showed up in the first E-Monster manual back in 1977, but they really didn't start to get developed as a, a monster with personality traits until the 1980s. Cuz in 1987, we got Tucker's Kobolds. Yeah, one of the most harmful stories in the history of adversarial GMing. Uh, Tucker, uh, the alleged source of this story, decided to make his kobolds behave like Navy SEALs um, and decimated a higher level adventuring party who underestimated them. Yeah, I mean, it's an adventure you can still find out there, and it is extremely difficult, even if you're high level. Um, I mean, this is sort of one of the examples of monsters played to their natural advantages but also sort of sort of played uh by someone who understands the mechanics of the game a little too well right like it's it's monsters playing their natural advantages with none of their natural like instinct right like none of none of their demonstrated capability in any fiction however this i mean this sort of was an exercise in taking a monster that everyone kind of laughed at that was sort of ridiculous and boring and turning it into something interesting based on some of the lore that was written about them. You know, they're trap makers and they they live in tunnels. Right. The point was to say, all right, they probably make tunnels that are too small for everybody else, but they can still maneuver easily. And the traps, like a properly concealed pit trap with spikes at the bottom is still extremely deadly if you don't fly. Right. So however you might feel about Tucker's kobolds, it did spark more interest in them as a monster that you could use in different ways. In so I feel worse about it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I felt bad. Now I feel worse. 
So in 1989, they appeared as a player race in Dragon Magazine and then officially in a book as a player race in Skills and Powers in 1995. Uh, We also got winged kobolds at that point, which is crazy to me. Those are just miniature dragons. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they would tell you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Then by third edition, the race took on the now familiar lizard appearance. They had draconic ancestry um, or at least draconic worship. Uh, and they've kind of kept that ever since. Yeah, so 4th and 5th edition basically have kept the same lore. All right, so what are some reasons to play Kobolds? I think the, probably the, the biggest one is you want to be underestimated. You want people to think you're not very good at what you do. You can play that up and then surprise people when you know you actually succeed at something. You might also want a growth arc, um, you know, from, from small and lowly to high and mighty. Uh, can't get too much lower than Kobolds. Yeah, like already as a first level character, you're not very good at stuff. But like a first level kobold is, you know, sniveling and grovelly and cowardly and terrified. But like the differences in power between racial archetypes, especially in, in like 5e, by the time you get to 17th level, matter none. It might also be that you want a mechanical challenge. Kobolds these days are, well, at least in 5th edition, one of the few creatures that actually gets a penalty to a stat. Their, their abilities... Some of them are good, but they also have quite a few negative ones. So you're you're sort of starting from a deficit if you're playing a kobold. Uh, you also probably have a similar deficit if you want to roleplay a kobold. Um, they are, you know, as mentioned, a, a race that doesn't get a lot of respect. And even in the fiction, like kobolds are not really given any, not expected to have any agency. They're not really treated as like, you know, thoughtful or, you know, considerate companions they don't really rank in the uh, in the order of the races you know they're they're just a small pest so you're going to face that kind of scrutiny and whatever you do from people who don't understand who you are and what you're capable of yeah i i like the niche that they kind of occupy like they're not you know a typical player race um but they're not like a goblin where you have a lot of people in game who might say we have to exterminate it immediately because they're like a threat to society. They're more like, oh, it's a giant rat person and that's kind of gross. And like, should we exterminate it? I don't know. I kind of think it's kind of cute. Yeah. Uh, I think also like people understand the ascension of goblins. Like when goblinoids become super powerful, it's like, oh, well, that's not normal. But like, yeah, sure. Of course, we, we get that nobody sees that for kobolds right like yeah you get a lot of condescension yeah you're you're like you're kobold shaman okay you know a couple spells that's cute (laughs) like go back to worshiping your you know ancient red dragon who doesn't respect that you exist right and then you get to be like okay cool i cast cone of cold yeah (laughs) and then you could lean into the trap making ability of kobolds you might want to tinker with probably absurd traps. They're probably not, you know, the the competent ranger hunter who's like laying down a snare or a bear trap. It's some sort of insane Rube Goldberg contraption. Probably not steam power, probably like rickety and made of like rocks and stuff, but still very deadly. It's like Ewok traps. Perfect. Exactly. Oh, my God. Kobolds are the Ewoks of D&D. Oh, the little teddy bears. <laughs> Who eat people. All right, so let's talk a little bit about their physiology. Um, as you mentioned, they do have a penalty. So they have plus two dex and minus two strength, meaning they are uh, weaker than average, but slightly more dexterous. 
Yeah, kobolds know that they're fragile and that they're easy to pick on and that other creatures will do it if they can. So as as a society, kobolds tend to be easily cowed. Um, keep in mind, though, like anytime we're talking about what a kobold may or may not, may not do, that's sort of um, as a rule. Your kobold, though, that you are playing, whether an NPC or a PC, you know, decide how they fit in. Are they a typical kobold? Uh, do they go against the grain? Um, you know, wh- where do you fit in kobold society and, and how do you uh, relate to other kinds of kobolds? They're also size small, which may be stretching it a little bit. They have dark vision, which makes them naturally home underground. Yeah, small also means that you can't use heavy weapons. So that limits uh, a fair number of your weapon possibilities, you know, no longbows, etc. even though you've got a plus two dex. And then you get grovel, cower, and beg. As an action, you can basically fall to your knees and start whimpering, uh, and this distracts all enemies within 10 feet enough that all your allies will get advantage against them for a round. It's a good ability. It just really requires you to sacrifice your in-game dignity to use it, which is a little strange that like there's there's such a an RP penalty attached to something mechanical. I think it's interesting. Like a uh, like a cobalt assassin would absolutely use that, and then like grin devilishly after it works, right? Like the constantly being underestimated thing. But I, I, I agree. Like it's gonna feel gross if you're trying to be like the brave heroic cobalt, and you're like, okay, I guess I'll just play into my racial stereotype. <laughs> oh, don't kill me, please, please, please. Right. I mean, you know, I guess it's like, all right, let's do get help. No, I hate get help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You can, though, reflavor this, right? Like, mechanically, all it does is you distract people so that everyone else gets advantage. I mean, it could be a flashy display or something if you wanted to be some sort of swashbuckler kobold. You do get pack tactics, though, which is great. You get advantage on attack rolls against any enemy uh, who is adjacent to an ally of yours, which makes you a great rogue. It also makes you great at just attacking in general as long as you're with a party. But of course, like, why would you not have a party? Right. Yeah, this is D&D. <laughs> also, you're a kobold. <laughs> but remember, like that that influences the way that you think about things, right? Kobolds, um, kobolds have strength in numbers. When they are an enemy that that is fighting the party, they use pack tactics to to gang up. When you are a kobold PC, you're used to working in a in a group collectively. You know, how does that influence the way that you view your allies? How does that influence the way that you view yourself and your rank in this party and like where you fit in? I mean, I, I do think that opens up a lot of, like, not even necessarily, like, playing against type possibilities for, like, your Battlemaster or, like, some of the, like, more leader-like bard abilities where, like, you know, you're used to fighting with a group. This is a group of individuals that need to come together as a unit. Like, you see you see battle from that perspective of not individual force but collective force. Like, it makes sense that you would encourage those types of things right and then you'd get an advantage from it right of course you also get sunlight sensitivity which, gotta stay underground yeah it sucks um you get disadvantage on perception checks and attack rolls while you're in direct sunlight however the book doesn't define exactly what direct sunlight means so you're gonna have right. to talk to gm <laughs> so stick to forests i guess right <laughs> light foliage uh, i think it's kind of cloudy today i think that's that's fine right i'm wearing a hood that's not direct sunlight. Find yourself a fedora and just, <laughs> you know, Indiana Jones your way through D&D and it'll be fine. Like DMs, give your cobalt players magic fedoras. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Jarl Axel does, right? Like Drow have the same problem. That's why wide brim hat, big old plumage in it. 
It's uh, not because it looks good, although it looks good. It's, right. it's to keep the sun out of my eyes. I imagine Drow in 10-gallon hats. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, after 10 minutes in sunlight, they, they dissolve. Right. Oh, no, my Pawafui. <laughs> Jesus. Not this again. <laughs> All right. Languages, uh, you get common and draconic. I think that's the only player race that starts with draconic as a standard language. So that's an interesting thing, though obviously lots of people can just take it. Yeah, although you need a reason. Like, it's not one of the normal ones that you can pick, uh, at least according to Raw. Although, you know, most people just go ahead and say you can pick Celestial or, or whatever you want. But, like, technically... It's tough to get Draconic unless you are specifically given Draconic or can pick any language. So it can be an interesting RP point if like randomly the kobold that has no official schooling, you know, halfway through the adventure is like, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I speak Draconic. Of course. Yeah, I can read that. Well, yeah, I could read that. Those those runes. Yeah, they say I prepared explosive runes this morning. Dummy. <laughs> Now, they're also reptilian, although they have some dog-like features. And this plays a big role into their physiology. Um, I think probably more than most races that you can play as a PC, they differ from the the norm. So they're cold-blooded. Unlike dragons, which are warm-blooded, if it gets too cold, you probably get kind of sleepy. You prefer warm climates. You got to bundle up. Like, it's not good for you to be out in the snow. Yeah, you're going to need to trade that uh, fedora for a parka if it dips below 60. Maybe you need some fire magic just to stay warm. Right. You are scaled, and your scales have different patterns and also different colorings depending on the tribe in your lineage. It could be because of the particular dragon that your tribe feels like you're descended from. You know, maybe you have red scales or blue scales or whatever. And then you can also have striations and patterns, and, and often those will have some sort of like heraldic meaning. Then they are also omnivorous. Uh, I think they're notable for stealing the eggs of other creatures, um, <laughs> but they will pretty much eat anything because uh, I think they get portrayed as hunters to a small degree, but often they're more scavengers, right? Yeah. So like they'll eat dead things. That's fine. Um, if they defeat you in combat and nobody comes to claim your corpse, they'll probably eat your corpse. Like why? Why waste it? Yeah. You know, but they don't usually actively go out and try to kill people in order to eat them. Just, you know, they've died here. Just if you happen to fall into one of our traps, we'll collect you. It wasn't personal. They also lay eggs. Uh, this will be a little more important later when it comes to gender roles because kobolds don't really have gender roles because females just lay eggs and then you get back to work. Right. Um, and they can also change sex, which is a weird little like tidbit to, uh, to amphibian like. DNA R- and right. Jurassic it's like, Park, it's right? The, uh, the Jurassic Park frog thing. Right. Uh, I think it's new in 5th edition. It's like, hey, if uh, you know too many of one sex or the other and the tribe gets killed off or whatever, then some of them will just slowly switch. It's not portrayed as um, a conscious thing, but it easily could be. And I think you know it, it, it's a pretty like canon way to say that I have a kobold that you know was born as one sex and has since switched to another for whatever reason you want yeah i think what makes that interesting is is how little of a deal that would be to a kobold and like how little you would even necessarily want to highlight it though it can mean that like you know it it doesn't have to mean that your gender identity changes at all of course right right like sure like there's not enough male kobolds here so i have to uh be a male kobold for a while or whatever right because that's just physiology but like it doesn't change who you are or what you do in the party it's just a weird quirk of your physiology and just kobolds in general we'll get more into this in society but 
just have um, less delineation between gender identity, gender roles, things like that, because it just starts off not mattering. And then their lifespan is up to 120 years, which I got to imagine is natural lifespan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On a farm. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to put that at about 25. <laughs> but consider this. Most kobolds die young just because it's a dangerous life. Things eat them. Medicine isn't great. But you could live up to 120 years. That's so much wasted time. You know, if you, do kobolds even know that you can live that long? Oh, well, certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you find out, that would probably piss you off. And then if you actually did live that long, if you got to like 100 years as a kobold, who knows what you could be capable of? What kind of magic could you learn? Also, I think um, it's called out in a few places that kobolds don't really worry with like medicine and healing because they're just so weak that one hit kills all of them. They're, they're a race that like internalizes the need for group survival over individual survival right? Like they just kind of inherently understand that in their packs. It's important. Right. And you can, uh, one female, I think can lay up to six eggs a year. So you're just, you know, you mate, lay an egg two weeks later, move on. But that means that you're always replenishing uh, the supply of new kobolds. And then like we mentioned before, there are the erds, the winged kobolds who mm, are sort of like related to a slightly different god and so strangely get treated poorly by other kobolds <laughs> i could not care about this drama <laughs> any less <laughs> i did not know that they had an actual name though <laughs> <laughs> i like the idea that you're just you're just so sad why oh because i've been bullied my whole life because i can fly <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> just leave dude just leave <laughs> you can't because the sunlight <laughs> <laughs> so bright leave in the middle of the night all right let's uh let's run through some cultural touchstones for uh for kobolds so in current incarnations kobolds believe that they are distant descendants of dragons which is you know why they're reptilian why they have scales and things like that and they display personality traits like you might get from a tiny little dragon or i don't know maybe cats actually yeah <laughs> so, so they're they're dragon-like dog-like and now cat-like so they're covetous they're very curious. Uh, they definitely can be very intelligent, but because they are small and weak and they know it, they are very cowardly. And then this, of course, manifests itself in their broader culture. So they are insular. They try to remain hidden. They steal occasionally, but prefer to just run and hide rather than fight. Uh, they will lead you into traps rather than, you know, fighting you outright. There's no concept of honor or, or <laughs> anything like that. Yeah, think about this when you're running kobolds. You know, what what is the optimal way, not necessarily to defeat the party, right? Which is sort of the mistake Tucker's kobolds makes. But what is the optimal way for the kobolds, well, the majority of them to stay alive? Right. And to like accomplish the goal that they set out, which is probably a very like modest goal. Kobolds are probably more inclined to like capture powerful adventurers and like rob them, <laughs> right? Like if they can get away with it, like... I don't know that they would attempt to physically overpower anybody if they if they needed unless they were like defending their home. Right. Unless you're like, hey, we're going to slaughter all of you. Then, yeah, they, they get kind of vicious. But yeah, in general, kobolds are going to be like, we tie you up and we take your shiny stuff. If we do try to slit your throats, then you might actually use your, you know, daily spells and kill us all. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the god of the kobolds, Kirtlemac, was long ago trapped by Gond, the god of the gnomes. So kobolds hate gnomes, 
and divine magic is, at least some say, difficult for them to cast. In any case, uh, divine uh, kobolds are pretty rare. I am coming around on kobolds. <laughs> uh, but the, the flip side is because of their draconic ancestry, uh, arcane magic comes rather easily to kobolds. So sorcerers are super common. Um, and then obviously in 5th edition, that will be your draconic bloodline. The society is built around protection of the tribe, like we said. So they are accomplished at tunneling and trap making. All of that is in service to to safety, to you know, keeping other creatures away. Because pretty much any creature a kobold meets, whether you know another sort of sapient uh, species or a wild animal, can easily kill them. So we've mentioned this, but of course, no distinct gender roles because of their whole egg laying and sex fluidity situation you know it, there, there's no reason to really define things on which parts you have because that's transient i like the idea that a kobold adventurer is also confused by the gender roles in like a, a normal adventuring party or or gets very confused when like they go to town and like the the human village is, is sort of like divided that way and it's just like i i I don't understand. I'm very confused and half of you are wasting your time and, and the other half are like not getting paid. I don't get it. <laughs> I also think it would be cool if like um, there's a biological change in a in a kobold's body where like if you had, let's say, a, a near TPK and half the party died and then, you know, people bring in new characters and now the the gender dynamic of the party is thrown off, the kobold's body is just like, oh, wait, hold on. There's There's not enough males... I'm switching, and it's just and it's just like, no, this is this is not weird. I don't know why you're weirded out by this. <laughs> <laughs> it's mildly inconvenient at best when I shed my my dong. <laughs> Hashtag shed my dong. <laughs> happens a few times a year, minimum. Uh, another one of those classic cliches: kobolds tend to work in service of a dragon like as a tribe right uh which they will generally be worshiping the dragon as a god or is at least like a, an ancestor something to that degree um so like rabid devotion to dragons that they serve yeah to the point where some stories have have kobolds like willingly jumping into a dragon's mouth as like an offering i guess i, I don't know why a dragon would want to eat a mangy kobold but okay right it tastes like dog yeah gross which tastes like chicken <laughs> all right so let's talk about family ties kobolds have uh different kinds of family ties from you know your traditional player races eggs are raised communally by the entire tribe so all family relationships are more like cousins you won't necessarily know who like your direct line is tied to just you know everybody is vaguely related to everybody uh, bonded pairs are going to be rare. You won't see like, you know, two parents or, uh, you know, long time, uh, like matriarch and, and patriarch of a family. Like none of that really happens. The family unit is really just the tribe. Putting all this stuff together, I'm, I'm kind of feeling like did third through fifth edition D and D writers specifically want to make kobolds like sex positive and poly? Cause they did. <laughs> I'm not giving I'm not ascribing any positive intent to anybody. <laughs> so in instead of like a traditional family loyalty, a kobold is likely to be more loyal to their specific tribe as a whole or to the dragon god that maybe their uh tribe worships. All right, so let's talk about how kobolds interact with other groups, other people. In terms of other members of your tribe, consider where you are in the hierarchy. What's your job? Every kobold has a job. 
Do you like it? Is there room for advancement in that job? Can you work your way up? Or maybe do you want to leave? I think classically Cobalt Adventures feel like there's more out there for them. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about other Cobalts? Uh, as adventuring Cobalts are very rare. So why are they out of their warren? Like if you run into another adventuring Cobalt, something is up. What tribe are they from? What's their coloration? What can you tell from their particular like scale pattern? Which dragon god does their tribe worship? Is Does your dragon god hate their dragon god? Do you have a, a contest of trap making or, you know, thievery or groveling? Like, do you have some kind of intertribal, uh, you know, measuring system that you have to obey or honor? Right. I challenge you to a yip off. <laughs> <laughs> Only one of us can be the mascot of this party. And then other races... If you are venturing out into the wide world for the first time, at first you're likely timid and scared. This is that growth arc. I say like lean into it, play it up, you know, like be terrified of the first gnome you ever see, right? Like the the awful, horrible stories you've heard of gnomes and, and how they're like, they'll rip your entrails out with your teeth mm -hmm. and then find out that that's true. It's all true. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but the other ones are mostly fine. And if you're out here, you know, consider how you're proving yourself. Because, again, most people are underestimating you. Are you offering usefulness? Mm, is it might? You've uh, decided that you are actually going to be a very strong or tough kobold. Is it craftiness because you are great at making traps? Do you impress everybody with your arcane prowess? And then the question of gnomes, of course, how do you view them? Do you carry like a racial animosity towards them? Because gnomes probably don't feel strongly about you or, or certainly don't feel any strong, any more strongly about you than any other race of, or group of people will. Uh, you're just a cobalt. <laughs> like they, they definitely haven't internalized some animosity towards you because of something their deity did to your deity thousands of years ago that they don't even remember. Right. Uh, I don't think about you at all. Right. That's the, the classic <laughs> Don Draper meme. <laughs> I feel bad for you, gnomes. All of your all of your joy of and, and your worship of Garl Glittergold is just predicated on the abuse of kobolds. I don't think about you at all. <laughs> but I I like the idea that uh, a gnome and a kobold like the kobold hates the gnome. The gnome's the, the gnome's like, oh well, this is bothersome. Uh, yeah, yeah, but then they both bond over a love of insane steampunk technology. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the, the artificer twins. Right. <laughs> what if we added poison spikes? And the gnome's like, oh my God, why didn't I think of that? I like like gnomes would be like steampunk and um, and your cobalt artificer is going to be like wood punk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I carved this. Yeah. I whittled this. <laughs> it's poisonous. <laughs> you should touch it. And then I think specifically as kobolds, you probably want to have a point of view on dragons. Um, you know, do you fear them? Do you uh, do you hold them in awe? Do you have like a hatred for enslaving groups of kobolds, like kind of religiously? Um, like, do you see them as a as a threat, or do you envy them? Like, what, what's your position on dragons? Because there's almost no doubt that as a cobalt adventure, you will eventually cross a dragon, especially if you have a decent DM who sees the obvious parallel. <laughs> but like, I think the important thing is you don't have to be drawn into immediately like falling to your knees and worshiping, you know, the first young adult dragon you come across. Um, like you can be, you, you might be defying the 
cultural norm of kobolds and and maybe even what that dragon has seen before because you are an adventurer you have much more agency than the average kobold um you have grown to appreciate your own agency through this party yeah there's some definitely cool stories that are are possible here being the kobold who strikes the the final blow against the dragon great now i have a new thing on my bucket list yeah meepo the dragon slayer <laughs> All right, so what are some reasons that a kobold might be out in the wide world? Curiosity. You know, what's what's outside of these these here warrens? What what else is out there in the great big world? My wings are just so ugly, you know, I had to get out here and see if I can find some way to get rid of them, this horrible curse. Uh, if you want a more tragic backstory, maybe your tribe was wiped out. You were one of the lone or few survivors of a of a warren that no longer exists. You had no choice but to figure out what to do. You have pack tactics. You need to find a pack. Mm -hmm. maybe you were kicked out you didn't fit in for whatever reason you you know climbed above your station or uh, you were less concerned with safety and and more interested in you know seeing new and fascinating things you liked uh using daggers instead of spears you know right. like, like to kill them <laughs> up close it's too too dangerous for a couple <laughs> get out of here you seem to really enjoy eating the enemies yeah <laughs> hmm Maybe you want to become more powerful. You're tired of being weak and small and timid and scared, and instead you want to lord it over other people. Or you just want to be able to defend yourself without worrying about it. Good way to do that is class levels. Uh, right. Uh, and then maybe you have like kind of taken the origin story to heart, right? And you want to find a way to free Kirtle Mac, or you have some prophecy of of Cobalt Ascension, so, something like that. Some you know story that motivates you to go out in the world to change it. Yeah, I think that's a great backstory for like a kobold cleric. All right, so classes you're good at. Rogue, obviously. Anything with a dexterity. Monk is good because it doesn't matter that you're small. You hit as hard as any other monk. Fighter, of course, is good. You you have extra feats you can make up for your, your simple minus two. It, you know, at high level, a kobold fighter has the exact same stats as a, as a regular fighter, except like one less useless feat that you, you keep forgetting to trigger. Right, and just as many attacks. Right, uh, you could be you could be a ranger. Uh, you're at home in the wilderness uh, tunnel or under dark ranger. Sounds like a, a great fit. Gloomstalker is like the perfect ranger for a kobold oh, yeah. who, who's you know capable of the agency of adventuring. And then it doesn't really fit necessarily with your stats, but sorcerer, bard, warlock, any of those kinds of charisma based casters really fit well with the arcane flavor and then also the, the draconic ancestry. You can work that in anywhere. I think wizard probably makes a little bit less sense. Yeah. Uh, although, you, I mean, you can do it. Yeah. I think the, the nice thing about the sorcerer and warlock, especially, is they have those sort of divine. Um, flavored origins as well and and that might make a lot more sense as a cleric of uh kirtle mac or as a you know a priest of kirtle mac rather than necessarily playing a cleric proper oh yeah i like the idea of kirtle mac's kind of a, a vestige right he's hard to communicate with but he can still be a patron um and then of course artificer just fits too nicely with the whole like you know fiddling and whittling and and engineering and you know trap making all of that sort of like tricksy behavior um you know, it's just a good fit. All of the flavor abilities for Artificer make a ton of sense, even if the mainline stats don't necessarily track for what you would expect. So in combat, you're low strength, which makes it hard to wear heavy armor and you can't use heavy weapons at all. So in general, range combat is probably your best bet. 
or you know a rogue or something that dashes in and out and you know makes best use of flanking and pack tactics yeah or something that gets its damage from uh beyond your weapon type is the important thing you know you can you can give up a d10 make that a d8 fine that's one damage per round but if you're adding your sneak attack damage or you're adding you know extra attacks for monk or whatever you can kind of neutralize that cost yeah and you can pretty reliably count on advantage so you know you could even lean into like great weapon fighter sharpshooter things like that and not have to worry that much about missing but you are going to need a way to mitigate sunlight sensitivity so you have to talk to your gm to figure out exactly what direct sunlight means yeah, if if you're not going to get a, a leg up from your GM, if they're not going to help you out, then you need to go for a spellcaster route that uses saving throws because those won't be impacted by the penalties of sunlight sensitivity. You'll still be weaker, but at least your offensive capabilities won't be dependent on, you know, not having disadvantage because you happen to be in the sun today. I mean, I guess you could say, ah, but I have pack tactics and so it all balances out and I basically have nothing. Yeah, right. <laughs> On occasion, that's fine, right? Like if you have the occasional direct sunlight fight every few sessions and yeah, okay, you, you don't, you know, you just soak up the disadvantage and deal with it. It's not the end of the world. But if you're in an average campaign where, yeah, you're pretty much in direct sunlight for, you know, 30, 50% of your fights, like that's going to suck. Yeah. <laughs> A good way to do this is just, you know, you sort of theater of the minded or, or say like, tell me which way the sun's coming from. Okay, great. I stand over here on this side of the building, yeah. you know, and then shoot from there. Right. <laughs> Tell me. Yeah, fine. Exactly. I'm within five feet of these shadows. For skills, you can be good at acrobatics. Stealth is probably very good for you. Sleight of hand, because how else are you going to steal enough stuff to keep the Warren uh, in potions and uh, scrap? Um, and then thieves tools, uh, which you can, of course, use to make traps and poisons and, and all types of underhanded things, as well as just, you know, picking locks and whatnot. For magic items, I like gauntlets of ogre power or belts of giant strength because you then just completely uh, eliminate the stat penalty that you have it just it just doesn't matter anymore i mean it's great and it frees you up to just boost your decks instead of worrying about strength right i mean just dump it down to six who cares yep drow gear can be good because that often eliminates sunlight sensitivity because the drow are very concerned about that but it works great for you too and then i think the most thematic stuff will be anything dragon related um you know we talked about Cobalt's worshiping dragons as gods, but in the in the same way, like any draconic themed item is going to be worshipped as an artifact, even if it is relatively common or low powered. Um, you know, it it would certainly be revered as you know of the greater race uh, of of our you know draconic overlords. <laughs> yeah, and I think if you are like a kobold who's fascinated with dragons in a campaign, it's certainly fine for GM or for you to talk to your GM and say like. You know, eventually I would like to be able to use items that maybe only dragons can use or, you know, whatever like that. That's sort of a nice RP capstone for a character. Yeah. So, Ishan, have you ever played a kobold? Yes, but never as my primary character. So, for example, in Neverwinter Nights, the video game, you, you know, play a character and then one of the NPCs you can pick up, which, of course, you also control, is Deacon, the kobold bard who i always made become a uh, a red dragon disciple nice um and then you know i've also been in games where you have uh, hirelings and things like that and like a kobold hireling is is fun and interesting but i've never played like just my character is a kobold even though i always find them like fun and interesting and wacky so yeah i kind of feel like kobolds are on the edge of a little too goofy <laughs> or on the other side of it they're kind of on the like too much 
old D and D cruff baggage, right? Mm. Like the 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 Tucker's Cobalt baggage, basically, right? Is like the oh yeah, no, they will murder everyone. Cobalts are untrustworthy and dangerous, and like I don't want to deal with that. And I also don't want to deal with like the Kender esque like thievery and naivety that like makes you an annoying party member either. So like you got to kind of find that middle ground for the Cobalt. I feel like. Yeah, like I don't want to play the like the oh boss, I'm so scared. Please, like don't kill me. You know, like I guess that's okay for half a session, and then I'm not interested in doing that anymore. Yeah, even when I played goblins, who like <laughs> like and accepting the like the canon of being bullied by hobgoblins as part of our characters, I still made them like brutal union toughs, capable of dealing with what they needed to do. <laughs> but I'll say I've been leaning into gnomes more, who are just goofity. Like that's that's their brand. And I, I'm definitely opening up to the point where I think I can do a good kobold and just make them silly, but also fun and useful. Yeah, I think I would enjoy playing a kobold um, and probably more than a gnome. But I, I, yeah, not I haven't, much. haven't gone that far. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe someday, but today isn't that day. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? It's a strange barking sound. I don't know why a reptile would bark, but here we are. Well, it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge and figure out what they're barking at. But first, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne, that's Malice, minus meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. And get those mailbag questions to us so that we can get them into episode 262, our fifth anniversary. All right. What do we have in the character creation for, Jishin? We're building the Weather Balloon, Uh which is uh, (laughs) a wacky kobold who flies above the action and rains down attacks and is also pretty good at covert reconnaissance. Okay. All right. (laughs) What's the build? (laughs) Alchemist Artificer 14, Pact of the Chain, Fey Warlock 3, Assassin Rogue 3. Okay. Uh, so from, <laughs> from Artificer? Uh... So, so, so here's the conceit. A weather balloon, of course, has to fly. And one of the fastest ways to fly without starting like Aarakocra or something like that is our Alchemist Artificer, because at level 3, you can make an experimental elixir one of which grants you a fly speed of 10 feet for 10 minutes with no concentration. And you can make additional ones with uh, additional spell slots. That is, okay, yeah, that's that's pretty hot air balloon speeds, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it certainly is. I'm thinking of a, a kobold who's basically literally attaching balloons to a belt uh-huh. or making like uh, weird like wooden wings like the Erd they saw one time back at the Warren. Okay, I dig it. So Artifice will give you medium armor, shields, and con saves, which is going to be great for concentration checks. And spells like Death Ward, which is great. If uh, your, uh, your, your wings fail for whatever reason, you plummet to the ground. <laughs> uh, guidance, absorb elements. Featherfall, of course, very useful. Long Strider will double your fly speed. 20 feet, that's a stiff breeze. Woo! And then invisibility is great because if you are a flyer and invisible, that keeps people from shooting you out of the sky. Uh, you will also get thieves' tools, tinker tools, alchemist supplies, and another tool of your choice. So whatever it is that you need to do with your free time, you'll have the capability. You get mag- magical tinkering to you know uh, light things up or make noises or things like that. You'll get f- up to four infused items. 
the important things here are at level 10, you can make winged boots, which means you are no longer uh, dependent upon your experimental elixirs to fly. You can just fly for four hours a day, which is far more time than you need for uh, regular combats. And then take a look at Eyes of the Eagle, which uh, let you um, make uh, perception checks uh, normally at a very long distance, which is going to be a thing that will be useful because when you are a quarter mile up in the air, you're going to want to be able to see everything uh, around you. Yeah, that's your weather balloon sensor array. <laughs> uh, then you'll have right tool for the job, which will give you tool expertise as you need it. And then you can make any set of tools that uh, you have uh, proficiency in over the course of a short rest. You'll have Flash of Genius, which gives a bonus to a saving throw or ability check uh, to you or an ally up to your intelligence mod times per day. You'll get Spell Storing Item, which is nice because you can put an Artificer spell into it and it can get used a bunch of times per day. You can leave that with your party while you're up in the air so they can still make use of your spells, or you can use it on yourself, like make yourself invisible or things like that. With Magic Item Adept, you'll have uh, five items to attune to and no no restrictions based on race or class or anything else. So you can grab those dragon-aligned items just fine. Yeah. <laughs> From Warlock, you'll get a familiar, which will let you cast your touch spells within 100 feet. So even if you're way up in the air, you'll be able to heal the party and things like that with your familiar. You, of course, will get Eldritch Blast. The invocations are important. Agonizing Blast... Eldritch Spear, which will give you a 300-foot Eldritch Blast, which means if you are 300 feet in the air, you can rain down Eldritch Blast, and unless somebody has a sharpshooter with a longbow, they are not going to be able to touch you. <laughs> the other thing here is you get Misty Visions. That's an invocation that lets you cast Silent Image at will. Make a silent image of a cloud. And now, <laughs> you're just a cloud. That's all you are, and it moves along with you, and you can change it to make it look like it's like billowing in the breeze, and then suddenly it fires Eldritch Blasts right. from 300 feet in the air. Uh, the other thing is, uh, the illusion will block line of sight. You'll be able to see through it, and other people won't be, so you'll have advantage even if you don't already have pack tactics, and it should block direct sunlight. And then uh, you can use a short rest to use those Warlock slots to feed them into making more elixirs because elixirs last until the end of your next short rest. So then from Rogue, we will get uh, two expertises. So, you know, your stealth, your uh, uh, probably sleight of hand, I think is the most thematic, but perception could also be useful. Um, you'll get some sneak attack dice and you'll have cunning action, which will uh, let you double your fly speed <laughs> uh, as a bonus action. And then uh, you'll also get Assassinate. So you can uh, automatically crit on uh, hits against surprise targets. So the plan here is fly up in the air, turn into a cloud, wait until nobody suspects that the cloud is going to murder them, and then murder people. Yeah, and if you're not able to figure out that piece of it, why don't you grab the Spell Sniper feat? <laughs> so you can also <laughs> ignore cover and Eldritch Blast up to 600 feet away, effectively making you weather balloon born artillery <laughs> <laughs> so for leveling order go artificer four to get uh, that asi uh, or the spell sniper feat do all three of your warlock levels take artificer to 10 so you get your um, winged boots take your rogue levels and then finish off artificer all right before we wrap up we want to take a moment and say thank you to our patreon supporters yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. 
So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And you can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes, which we will read on the air. And um, this one is a doozy. I'm not sure if this is a drag or, <laughs> or what? a copy pasta or, or what, but we said we'd do it. So for the next two minutes, we're going to read this review. <laughs> this is Another Broken Build With No Name by sub to me on YT. Okay, so I'm creating a big boss for my campaign. This big boss relies on a lot of opportunity attacks. He has the Sentinel feet, the Mage Slayer feet, the Polon Master feet, and a Reach weapon, a Glaive. He's 18th level, Bugbear, Cavalier, Fighter. The Cavalier's 18th level ability, though, it is so broken. Another character who I thought of is a Warforged Warlock 5, Rogue 9, Paladin 6, Celestial, Arcane Trickster, and Oath of Ancients. He has a Defender Rapier, Finesse Weapon, 40 AC with Defensive Duelist, and 39 with Shield, plus 3 Plate Mail, and a plus 3 Shield and a Defender Rapier, using the bonus to, for AC plus 3, the Defensive Duelist feat, plus 6 to AC for 1 attack, the Shield of Faith spell, plus 1 for being Warforged, and he doesn't use Defensive Duelist, he can cast Shield instead. In addition to this, he has a he has both a Cloak and Ring of Protection, which is plus 1 to AC for each item, plus 2 total, 5 third level spells, Pack Magic and Multiclass spells, and Sneak Attack, Divine Smite, and the Eldritch Invocation, Eldritch Smite. You use all of these every round because the sneak attack is conditional but often comes into effect and Eldritch and Divine Smites can be used as long as you have a spell slot, which means you can stack them and use two of your five third level spells to do 48 Radiant and 48 Force and 5d6 sneak attack damage. The best counter to this build is a spellcaster that has wisdom save spells, but even then he has counter spell and can just use that. He also has 22 in both Charisma and Dexterity using the manuals that buff your stats by two, see the DMG. And even if the counterspell doesn't work, he has the resilient feat to get him proficiency in wisdom saves and the lucky feat. I rolled good stats. Even more broken, smiley emoji. Especially after I buff the AC by 8. This build is perfectly legal and doesn't break attunement rules. This is the most ridiculously OP build I've seen in 5e. And on top of that, he has the narrative justification for his multiclassing. He was a criminal who took a job that ended badly. One of the gods saved him by making a deal with him. After a while, he grew to worship that goddess and became a paladin. Not at all OP. I have not run all the numbers to see if this is definitely legal, but it feels like it. Hey, and sub to me on YouTube. <laughs> at Total Party Thrill. <laughs> now that we've proved that we will read pretty much whatever you write in those five-star reviews send them on in <laughs> yeah we gotta put a time limit on this <laughs> all right what do we have planned for next week's episode we're talking about random tables and in the character creation forge we're building the lotto ticket well that's it for episode 260 of total party thrill i hope we lived up to our name but either way i'm shane and i'm ishan thanks for listening Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Cobalt Press. See, we told you. Do you love the Creature Codex so much that you want to keep it close to your heart? Yes. Well, now you can. How? Well, you get all nearly 400 foes of the original Creature Codex for just half the price, $24.99, in a convenient and portable softcover version of the book. Uh, do you mean the Creature Codex Pocket Edition? Oh, I do. I do indeed. The one I have right here with me always. I sleep with it. The one that has great imaginative creatures like the Keg Golem, Shark Bull Ooze, Bar Brawl, Hierophant Lich, Wasteland Dragons, and hundreds more, all playtested and built by the industry's best designers? Absolutely. I actually really like the Bar Brawl because it is a swarm creature that is 
a bar full of patrons who are having a fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Navigate this, nerds. <laughs> so if that sounds cool, you can find out more at koboldbreast.com. And tell them DSPN sent you. <laughs>